is November 22nd, 2020, and you are listening to Sam Walking in the World, episode 26. This is the fastest growing podcast in all of Null Top Terrace, and as always, the thoughts of a guy who used to be unhappy, just trying to live like he wants to be when he dies. Guten Tag, Kia ora, Ni hao, top of the morning. And don't be a hoser, eh? A big fat hello to all my devoted listeners across four continents and two hemispheres. I'm grateful to all of you, and as always, I'm thrilled to hear you listening to the sound of my voice. Well, we got a packed show for you. It's kind of weird. It mixes a lot of stuff up. Um, we got some stupid stuff, some lifey stuff. Um, on the news and politics, I think I'm going to talk a little bit about covid and, um, you know, whether or not it's being politicized, who's saying that it's being politicized, how it might actually be politicized, and whether or not that matters. And um, I was able to manage through my ubiquitous clandestine informants to get an audio tape uh, from a listening device planted inside of Mario Cuomo's private residence. I think you might be interested in that. It's not that salacious. It's really just uh, uh, him helping his uh, grandson with a project that he has at school. He had to interview somebody, I guess, and uh, we got some nice stuff for you. You probably laugh. So anyway, let me get right to the stupid stuff. First, driving. Um, I think it would be a fitting afterlife if everyone had to spend eternity whenever they had to go somewhere and having driving behind themselves. Just think about that for a second. Consider it when you're doing your own driving. Also, food weirdness. I have the suspicion that Apple Jacks are just green Fruit Loops. Is there really a discernible difference? It's like two whole kinds of cereal. Did people just like the green ones, so they made a separate one and called them Apple Jacks instead of just all green Fruit Loops? I don't mean the cinnamon apple jacks. I mean like the regular ones. They're literally Fruit Loops. And they're both made by Kellogg's. I think it's a scam. Also, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Also in food news, um, goldfish crackers. I like goldfish crackers, but it's really hard to eat them, like in moderation. Um, this to me seems to be the protocol for eating crackers, goldfish crackers. First you eat one, and then they're good. So you eat two at a time, reaching into that little tall sort of, uh, I don't know, I guess it's kind of shaped like a little building. And you open up the paper at the top. And you got to kind of reach in and grab one. First, you start with one, and it's good. Those goldfish are good, especially the Parmesan flavor. They have, like, every single kind of flavor now. But anyway, um, and then you got to eat two at a time. So you kind of wiggle your fingers in deep enough. You're pretty much, like, wrist deep in the bag. And then you eat two of them at a time, and that's even better. More of that fish cracker flavor in your mouth. And then... And then you, you want to go, like, mo you want more. At least I do. So I try for three at a time, and that's where it gets sticky. It's really hard to get three 
and get them out of the bag with your hand, you know, wrist deep in the bag. It's like um, the story of the monkey paw, like the monkey is trying to get cookies out of the cookie jar and he's trying to get as many as he can because he's a greedy monkey. And he could just take one out at a time and eat them and then eat another one and another one. But he wants them all. So he fills his whole fist with them when, when it's inside the cookie jar. Then he can't get it out. He can't get any of the cookies because he's monkey fisting it. And, and you try to do that with the goldfish crackers, but it doesn't work. So then you just open up the top of the bag all the way and kind of make it like a chute. And then you just dump it in your mouth. And the bag is gone in like five minutes. And it's good. It's kind of gluttonous. But it's really good. And so I generally see them and know I would like them and then don't buy them. And that's what I have to say about that. Okay, now, moving on. <clears throat> Remember cigar store Indians? Like in front of like tobacco shops, pipe places. There's, there's like the wooden carving of, a, of, an, of an Indian, Native American, to be politically correct. But they were called cigar store Indians, and they would just always be standing in front. And I was driving down um, a city street, like down toward downtown in the city, and not not in a very good section. And it, you know how you know it's not a very good section? The convenience stores are independently owned. Like, you're not going by a speedway or a fast track. You know, they're called things like such and such Mark Deli. And I was driving by one. It's actually called the West Side Market, I think. And it's just a, you know, a, a storefront facing the road. And it's kind of seedy. You know what I mean? There's nothing fancy about it. It usually has a lot of products that are cheaper. But you can usually get what you want in there. But you got to go through the experience of going into an independently owned market, convenience store, corner store, they're called. And I swear, as frequently as there would be a cigar store Indian in front of a tobacco store, there's like a dude just standing in front of the market. And it's like, I've noticed different dudes in front of different markets, these corner store dudes. And it's like, um, they're very common. They're almost like prototypical. I started thinking to myself, because I got a very good close look at one as I was going into the West Side Market. And it really dawned on me that they're almost exactly the same. And I started wondering, like, are they paid? Like, is somebody paying them to do that? Is it a position? And I, of course it isn't. But I was thinking, like, what if it was? Like, what would the ad look like in the paper? Or, like, on one of those employment internet sites. So I, I imagine it'd be, like, something like this. It would be, like, help wanted, corner store dude, no experience needed, training provided. Must be 45 to 50 years old. Must look 65 to 70 years old. Must have a white, weasened face. One pair of wrinkled jeans. One baseball hat. Preferably generic and askew. One 10 year old jacket inadequately lined. Teeth optional. Must be able to stand motionless for hours. 
Smoke Paul Miles or Lucky Strikes, no filters allowed. Must make no meaningful eye contact to any passersby. Must not smile or frown. Respond to any conversation starters. Must not know directions. Must not know the time. Must not know definitely what time the game is. Or even that there is a game on that day. <laughs> it seems like it's the same guy. Like I said, that was stupid. I'm going to take a quick break, though. When I get back, I'm going to talk about some lifey stuff that may be a little bit more interesting than that. I want to make a quick correction. I accidentally said Mario Cuomo, Andrew's father. I grew up on Mario, and I guess for some reason I can't get the name out of my head when I refer to Andrew, but um, Mario. <laughs> I meant to say Andrew. Hello and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 36. In lifey things today, I want to talk about laughing. Laughing. It's kind of a strange thing. I think it's involuntary, first of all. Um, I don't think people choose to laugh, and when they do, it usually sounds really fake. You have to be a pretty good actor to fake laugh. Um, so I think it just happens. Like something occurs to you. Or you hear something, and it causes this involuntary reaction that we call laughing. And there's many different kinds and many different ways. But <clears throat> in one way, I think they're all the same. They are some kind of psychological reaction to something. And obviously, it's something that's funny. It's so weird what funny is. and what, I mean, of course, it's different to different people. But just that it exists, there's something called funny. And when it occurs, you do something called laughing. And I find that I like to be around people who laugh. I laugh a lot. I laugh really loud. I have an ugly laugh. If I were to be forced to listen to it, I would try to change it. But again, it's involuntary, so it ends up just happening. It's kind of way. It's kind of a way of communicating out loud, even if you're alone, I guess, that you thought something was funny. And I got thinking about the nature of laughing and humor, I guess, in general. And I think this. It takes a relaxed mind to laugh. Like a tense mind. A tense mind probably thinks of it as a waste of time. Like a, a tense mind is too conscious and directed to be able to um, allow it, I guess. Like a valve has to be open. And then when things occur to you that are funny, laughing comes out of it. But if it's like sealed up, um, I don't think it just, I don't think it comes out. And it's weird to me in certain relationships with people who don't laugh. Usually they're tense people. They're preoccupied all the time. So like the place where the funny thought would be is already filled with something else. And it either gets blocked or it squeaks its way around like a fart. But it never comes out as a laugh. It comes out as something like, um, something like, a, oh, I get it. You get it. You get it. Obviously, you don't really get it. I mean, maybe you understand the construction of the joke. There's a big difference between understanding the construction of the joke 
and laughing because it's funny. Like there's some, some kind of blockage in there. And, and I feel bad for these people because they're missing so much of the good stuff in life. You know, it's like, uh, it's like doing something that feels really good without like, you know, the release, so to speak. I'm going to keep this PG. Um, so I don't, I just don't understand people that don't laugh. I feel like it, it definitely speaks to their general state of mind. And I'm not saying you want to be silly. Being silly is always trying to be funny or always trying to be goofy. And I think silly is good sometimes. Um, but it, uh, silly is more about a mood. And something funny can put you in a good mood. Like you could be in one mood and then something funny would happen. Like maybe you're watching television or something, like cartoon or something. And then something funny happens and, and you just start laughing and it changes your mood. But you at least have to have that like funny valve open. And so things occur to me all the time and I'll just start laughing by myself. And then I'm, I'll share them with someone else and then usually they'll laugh. It's kind of nice. It's almost like a, a way of communicating and connecting without words. Two people both watching something and both thinking it's funny at the same time and looking at each other. Like I, it sounds corny, but those are, I think, precious moments. And I think um, I would advise my humble advice, whatever it's worth. I would advise anybody that knows anybody that doesn't laugh to um, try and make them. I don't know what kind of massaging is required. You got to get them in the right mood first. I don't know, maybe alcohol has to be involved. Not for kids. But I don't know. I just don't get it. And so... I feel very lucky, I guess. It's one of the things I'm grateful for in my life is that I find things funny and I laugh really hard. My mother laughs really hard. I'll never forget being in her kitchen and, and must have said something funny enough that she started laughing so hard she had to hold on to the kitchen counter. Like I think she was in jeopardy of falling because it was she was laughing so hard from her gut. My mom's got a pretty laugh. My laugh is awful. I think most of the men in my family have terrible laughs. Okay, anyway, I think I've said enough about that. But if you're out there, laugh. Um, with that, I'll be right back, and I will talk about some more lifey things. Hello, and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 36. Now, I have for you secret audio tapes gained clandestinely by my ubiquitous informants. And they managed to record this conversation between Andrew Cuomo and his grandson. I think he's 14, maybe. Um, listen to what we found. Grandpa, um, if you have a minute, I have this project that I have to do for school where I'm supposed to find somebody important and ask them questions like about COVID and like school closings and like we heard that like all of a sudden there's these brand new laws that are gonna like make it so that schools are shut down. Um do you know anybody? Alright first of all let's try not to be obnoxious and offensive in your tone. I'm uh okay. Because you're a hundred percent wrong. 
these laws have all been in effect for months. I've always said, we set initial parameters, and then the school district picked a percent within those parameters. I hate parabolas. I think I'm going to start not being able to understand here, so please talk slow. We announced the orange zone law over a month ago. Slow down. You're losing me. I don't know if you were here or if you were paying attention. Probably was, and um, I probably wasn't. But that has been in effect for over a month. Um, if, if the schools close, like, I don't understand. Please talk to me like I'm even stupider than you already are. It always said, if by the state's numbers you hit 3%. What's going on here? The schools close. What's going on here is nothing that the law hasn't said for over a month. Mm -hmm. We then had the test out procedure. Oh, geez. I'm, I'm so bad at tests. My teacher says I have, um, um, I'm not a good test taker. If you were paying attention, you would have known we closed the schools in New York City two weeks ago. Um, I think I remember that. Remember when we did an orange zone and a red zone in Brooklyn and Queens? <laughs> remember Queen Latifah? <laughs> she was in like um that group uh, Salt and Pepper, or I'm sorry, um Salt and Pepper, um but. Um, I wonder what ever happened to Salt. And we closed the schools. Don't you remember that? What are you talking about? Um, Queen Latifah, like, uh, she was like a diva, and then she turned into an actress, and I think she ma made a movie called Taxi. Like, it was a remake. I think she did it with that black guy. How are you talking about? But aren't you listening? Queen Latifah. <laughs> she was so sassy. I'm afraid I'm going to have to override you on this now because I don't think you're listening to me. Um, can we start over? Now we're going to override. We did it already. That's the law. Are you allowed to, like, make up any kind of zones you want and, like, name them by colors? An orange zone and a red zone. Follow the facts. Let's ask Christopher Walken. Mr. Walken, do you think that schools are, are going to close? Yes, schools are open. See, Mr. Walken thinks that they're going to be open. I don't really care what you think. Okay, let's change the subject. Um, let's go to some lighter things. Like, um, is there a Bigfoot? I think, yes, there is a Bigfoot. I think I saw him with the mayor's wife walking in the Central Park. What is the answer to your question? Why does this state close the schools? I feel like I'm in an Abbott and Costello routine. All right. I think maybe we should cut this off. I'm, uh, I'm not really getting as much out of it as um, Mom said I would. So, um, But you did everything you could, so um, thanks for nothing. Bye, Grandpa. <laughs> Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World. That was something, wasn't it? Very revealing. Um, now, as I transition into the news slash political 
portion of the podcast, I want to continue talking about Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo is a living, breathing example of why, whichever side you're on, you don't want one-party politics. It is entrenched so deeply that accountability has practically vanished. If you just examine the way New York State is run, it's perennially in debt. Um, it has problems in, in its major cities, especially New York City. Um, it's, its school districts, at least their city school districts, are all failing. There's just no accountability. For Andrew Cuomo to talk about how something gets politicized, this is a man who has spent from his first day of birth entrenched in politics. Andrew Cuomo has known nothing outside of politics. I wonder if he even has an idea of what actual reality is. Because, you know, they say in politics, perception is reality. Every single move he makes and every word he says seems to have something to do with either creating or retreating from a a perception. And if he can make it appear to be real, well, then it, it, it is practically as real as real can get, I believe, to politicians that are this deeply entrenched. For him to talk about politicization of something, he is so saturated with politics that if you wrung him out, you could fill up a politics swimming pool. In ground, Olympic size. For, for, of all people to talk about COVID and, and warn against it being politicized, the very, the very comment that COVID is being politicized is participation in the politicization of it. I mean, he must think that we're stupid, and I'm sorry to say enough of us are. Listen to this. Uh, the way the federal government has handled the vaccine, there are now serious questions about whether or not the vaccine is become politicized. Uh, there's been tremendous reporting on that. And the people of this country don't trust this federal government with this vaccine process. How can I say that? I didn't say it. Americans said. So it's people's lack of faith in this federal government. Did you notice how he said that? It's not people's lack of faith in the federal government. It's this federal government. When the new federal government comes in, meaning the Biden administration, well, then everyone will trust it. And, and he's worried about the politicization of the vaccine and of COVID in general. After being asked the easiest softball question in the world, which I'll play for you a little bit later, Biden was asked a similar question about this. And this is what he said. The only reason people question the vaccine now is because of Donald Trump. That's the reason why people are questioning the vaccine, because all the things he says and doesn't say, whether it's truthful, is it not truthful, the exaggerations. I think we're on a clear path now. We're on a clear path where the international community and national leaders uh, in the scientific community have focused on these two vaccines. They appear to be ready for prime time, ready to be used. And if that continues on those road, I would take the vaccine. I'm not sure where old Joe's getting his information because he may need to speak to Kamala Harris because this is what she said about it. For life to get back to normal, Dr. Anthony Fauci and other experts say that most of the people who can be vaccinated need to be vaccinated. 
But half of Americans now say they wouldn't take a vaccine if it was released now. If the Trump administration approves a vaccine before or after the election, should Americans take it and would you take it? If the public health professionals, if Dr. Fauci, if the doctors tell us that we should take it, I'll be the first in line to take it. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us that we should take it, I'm not taking it. Now, if that isn't politicizing COVID and the vaccine, I don't know what is. Could you just imagine for a second if Donald Trump, after Joe Biden is sworn into office, and say the the vaccine hasn't been approved yet, maybe a month or two into Biden's term, it is completed, and President Trump said something like, I wouldn't take the vaccine because I don't trust Biden and half the country doesn't trust Biden. 72 million people voted against him. How irresponsible would it be for Donald Trump to say you shouldn't take the vaccine because Biden and Biden's federal government can't be trusted? Just imagine how the press would react to that kind of statement. And there's absolutely no reaction to this. I mean, they're, they're playing on the same team. Now I ask you, who is it that's confusing the issue of the COVID vaccine? Who is it? I mean, the hypocrisy is stunning. I mean, it is completely stunning. If anyone is confusing the American people about whether or not they should take And here's the thing. The vaccine is the same. How could the federal government, do they really believe that the change in the federal government will change something about the vaccine itself? I mean, how, how much are you rooting for your football team and not paying attention to COVID? to have that actually affect whether or not you think you should take the virus. <laughs> and Cuomo, Cuomo's the one that cracks me up the most. I, I expect it out of, I expect it out of all of them. I expect it out of Harris, Biden, uh, and Cuomo. But it, it is uncanny just to even hear it. Now, <laughs> I want to get to the, like I said earlier, the biggest softball question that could ever possibly be asked. And I predicted it. I'm sure lots of people that have been watching have predicted this kind of question. But you tell me if Donald Trump has ever gotten a question like the following question. What do you see as the biggest threat to your transition right now, given President Trump's unprecedented attempt to obstruct and delay a smooth transfer of power? More people may die. Now, can you recall a single question ever asked of President Trump like this? Laden with presumption. Like, early in his term, if if he was asked a question like, Mr. President, what do you feel is your biggest obstacle in repairing the economy now that it has been destroyed in an unprecedented way by President Obama's incredibly slow recovery and his intrusion into the healthcare system? I would love just anyone that can find anything even close to a question like this. You can't. And that tells you on its face how in the tank the press is for Joe Biden and how much they hate Donald Trump. I honestly don't know what they really want in in terms of their politics. But I know that they're on one side. And, you know, I'm on a side, too, but I'm not the ones in charge of being uh, the referee in this. Fair and free press. (laughs) Oh, my God. I gotta take a break. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 36. Um, I was talking about the politicization of the COVID virus. As if it wasn't bad that Harris did it, 
Cuomo did it. Biden did it. The news is doing it. How about Governor Pritzker from Illinois, another entrenched one-party state <laughs> that appears to, appears to be being run into the ground. If you compare New York and Chicago to other cities, I think they have like 50,000 million times the murder rate. But there's, again, there's no accountability. And, and, and hyper-politicization. Uh, listen to what uh, Prisker has to say about it. What is it going to take to get you to be a part of the solution? We've given you the data here in Illinois and the best studies from across the nation and the globe. What will it take to make this real for you? Do we have to reach a positivity rate of 50% like we're seeing in Iowa today? Are you waiting for healthcare workers to get sick to a point where you don't have enough staff in the local hospital to cover the next shift? What about if the hospitals become so overrun that you're sick and you're dying have nowhere left to turn? While you fail to take responsibility in your city and your county, that day is coming closer. Because I promise you, and it will be on you. I hear what he's saying. He's going to have to crack down. He's going to have to crack down on these lower-level municipalities who aren't doing the right thing, despite their right to govern as they see fit. I seem to recall a time when Donald Trump was trying to send the National Guard into states to quell rioting that was going on in their Democrat cities. And he was called a dictator. He was called many things, but... Clearly, they didn't like the idea that a higher-level government should come in and tell the lower-level governments what they ought to do to handle their problem. But here he is. And and he's weaving the, the COVID vaccine and virus into it. Okay? He, he's not getting what, he's want, what he wants from his lower-level municipalities, and so he needs to tell them that they're killing people. And if you don't believe me, listen to this. But more people will get sick, more people will struggle to breathe, and more people will die because you've failed to do your job. Now, please don't get me wrong. There are plenty of reasons that people might have for taking or not taking a vaccine. Some might say that, you know, they don't trust vaccines in general. Some people might say they, don't, they think it was rushed because it was needed so quickly. But anybody who decides to take or not take the vaccine based on which political party is in power is paying way too, in my opinion, is paying way too much attention to politics and not enough attention on what is real. And I, I feel like this is why I keep on getting back to the idea that this is a, ga a game for some people. It's like their soap opera or their football team. They're rooting for their team. Their team wins. They're going to say and do and believe whatever it is that disparages the other side. And I feel like sometimes these are the people that are most disconnected to how uh, political policy, governmental policy, actually affects their lives. And for most people, maybe it doesn't. So they have this luxury. But in the case of taking or not taking the COVID vaccine, I think it's incredibly irresponsible for what these politicians are doing. And they seem to, to not care about it at all. Um, and they're they're heated and and facilitated by the media. The media is is also playing this like a game. And I was just thinking about it this morning. There's a lot of money in it. You know, I, I bet I'd be a great liberal. I bet I would be able to articulate all the positions. I would be able to work up defenses for for uh, 
ideological attacks that might come from the right, but he'd be able to make some money. You know, right speeches, completely filled with things I don't believe for people who I don't admire and be rich. Get in front of a camera and say things that I know are demonstrably untrue, but it's because that's what people want to hear. Well, at least I promise you, this is actually what I believe. And I, I hope that I, in your mind at least, uh, focus more on actual policies, events, reality, which is, of course, affected by politics. But I like to think politics is downstream from my concern for what's actually going on. And with that, I believe I've said enough. So I will stop bending your ear now. And as always, I thank you very much for listening, and I really mean that. And until next time, I will see you. Hello and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 37. This is a special segment of Sam Walking in the World because it is Sam Driving in the World. In case you hear any background noise. I'll do my best to keep this PG-13, so I don't want to give anyone the finger over the air. So I'll drive carefully and patiently. <clears throat> but I wanted to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving, because I was thinking about it. Whenever you run into people as it approaches Thanksgiving, everyone talks about what the basic question is pretty much like, what are you going to do for Thanksgiving? And the answer is pretty much, uh, you know, spend some time with my family, get together with some people. It varies in degree from person to person, but generally it's about the same. You know, getting together, <clears throat> um, eating Thanksgiving food, talking about how you're going to be full. Uh, sometimes talking about how your diet goes out the window. Um, maybe the football game. How to avoid talking about politics. And then it's over. And then the question immediately following Thanksgiving, when you're back into the world and your regular routine, you ask, how was your Thanksgiving? And everyone says, oh my God, I ate too much. Oh, my family's crazy. Oh God, gotta start shopping for Christmas now. <clears throat> it's the same exact thing. What I find ironic about it is that, like, you could cook this food any time of year if you wanted. Any day. You could make mashed potatoes, stuffing, gravy. Well, maybe gravy takes a little bit longer. <clears throat> but turkey. Turkey is the blandest food in the world. It's like the food equivalent of water. I actually asked my students, like, what percentage of their stomach are they going to fill with various things? And this one student, I have Matthew, he explained it to me, and it was really genuine. It was like he thought about it, and he thought this percent turkey, this percent mashed potatoes and gravy, this percent stuffing, this percent cranberries, which surprised me. When <clears throat> when else, other than Thanksgiving, would, you, would cranberry sauce or cranberries appear normal on your plate? Would you like a side of cranberries with that? Um, sure. I think a Big Mac... Uh, large fries and some cranberry sauce. I'd like the soup and sandwich, please, but instead of the soup, could I have the cranberry sauce? Sure. We have it ready all year long. 
<clears throat> or the cranberry sauce. The cranberries you get out of the can, and it's the mold of the can when you dump it out. That's <laughs> uh, so authentic. I don't mind the taste of cranberries. They seem to have weaseled their way into every drink. I think pomegranate's taking them over now. The pomegranate people have a better uh, advertising campaign. It's like pomegranate, the new cranberry. Anyway, I get way off track. Um, but I, it got me thinking. First of all, everyone talks about tryptophan. That's the other thing. And, and like most people can't remember it. They're like, what is that kind of goal in Turkey? <laughs> Count how many times you hear it. Tryptophan. It's some enzyme that supposedly makes you tired. I think it's true that it does. But I, I think you have to eat like an elephant amount of it. I think what really makes you tired on Thanksgiving is that you're full of starchy, starchy foods that causes almost all the blood in your body to go to your stomach. And so you get lightheaded. And the Detroit Lions are boring. They usually play inside a dome. You know, it's all... It's all boring. And, like, they usually aren't in the running in any division to win the division. And, and it's just... I guess it's tradition, but it's one of those traditions that's like, if it didn't happen, I don't think anybody would notice. But I guess people in Detroit probably look forward to it. I guess. I don't know. But anyway, um, I re it reminded me of one of those commercials that I see all the time for um, ketoacidosis. Tell me if you remember any commercial like this where there's a man and you see his profile and he's probably ordinarily proportioned in every other way except for his, like, big monkey belly. It's like, it, go, it goes from just above his belly button and it kind of slopes out and down to the bottom underneath his belly button. And it looks like the guy could be in shape. He's like an eyelash away from getting in shape, but he can't because that part of his body just won't have the fat go away. And they say something like, I think it's called insulin, insulin resistance. If you have fat in a certain place for long enough, um, it's really, really hard to make it go away. But I have to imagine, I mean, I'm experiencing it myself. That's why I was considering it. The last part of my body that is on its way to fitness is my pectoral muscles are fatty and my belly. And it's, and it's they're both gradually getting smaller just because of the normal processes of, of diet and exercise. But there's like a medicine you can take, I guess. And it always cracks me up when you see the before and after picture of the guy. The first picture is him from the side, and it's like this giant, bulbous monkey belly. And he's all hairy, and he looks unhappy, and the lighting is bad. And then... And then... In the after picture, he is markedly thinner maybe three inches off his waist. But, like, the lighting is much better. He's shaved. He's tanned. He's smiling. The picture is kind of from the front and side, so you don't see quite the sloping belly. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know what? I do want to get in shape. I got to get some better lighting. I, wanna, I need to go tanning. I got to shave up my body. And I think I just need to smile more. I don't know, I'll take at least five pounds off. 
I don't know how much truth there is to actually taking the medicine. Because here's why. I call this my kitchen counter theory. My wife has trouble not cluttering the kitchen counter. When it's clear, it's so inviting to just put stuff on it because there's empty places on it and you don't want to hold your bag anymore when you walk in the kitchen or your keys or your phone or your charger or if you're carrying like papers of some kind or the mail. It's so inviting. You just toss it down and then you go about your day. Maybe you make some food and and, uh, the salt ends up being left out and then the dog leash because you got back from the walk. There's still some counter left. And that ends up seeming to be where everything stays. And, and then it ends up uninviting because there's nowhere to put anything. And it, it draws to mind whether or not there are actually are places for that stuff that's on the counter. If you get yourself in the habit of putting that stuff, it, at least eventually, I can see just when you first walk in, ah, oh, I love that. And I am a a big proponent of just dropping things. I talked about that in another episode. Just drop it. But then you have to be in the habit then of when you cross its path again and you don't have anything to do, putting it in its place so you kind of regenerate the open counter. And I got to give kudos to my wife on this for the last, I don't know, we, we took all the stuff we don't use and all the old stuff and spoiled stuff out of all the kitchen cabinets. We did it selfishly because our daughter's coming home and she's an amazing cook. And so we want it to be in as inviting a kitchen as it can be with everything where she can easily find it. I'm not kidding. She's not like, oh, so-and-so's a good cook. This girl could cook professionally. And it's not even like her major interest. She's good at everything, though. And I'm not just saying that because she's my daughter. Because you know what? She's not my daughter. She's my stepdaughter. So I at least have one degree of objectivity. So anyway, um, for the last, going on two weeks now, my counters have been clear. And it's nice because the habit has changed. Now, if we stayed in the same habit, we would be right back in the same spot. The, The cabinets would be cluttered with like four different kinds of confectionery sugar that we don't use um oatmeal that's like three years old uh some stuff like just breadcrumbs we had four kinds of breadcrumbs flavored unflavored original in those quaker shaped boxes the round containers they just do nothing but take up the space so if we went back to our old habits, they would all get congested again, the cabinets, and so would the counter. But we haven't. And I, I'm really practicing the idea of let something sit there for a while, kind of an OCD check. Let something sit there for a while and give it the opportunity to be moved. Instead of immediately going, hey, are you going to leave that there? And my wife has been up to the challenge and has put things back. I think she has now found the utility of, of following that habit. And plus my daughter is more likely to cook. And so it was a garbage truck I just drove by. And so um, what does this have to do with ketoacidosis? If you take the medicine or like those cooling things, like they, they freeze away your fat by rubbing that stuff on it. If you do any measure like that, but maintain your normal habits, your gut's going to come back. If you make your habits such that 
the gut will gradually disappear, then you won't need to take the medicine or the cooling product, or whatever it is, in the first place. It's like, it almost seems like it's made for people who are going to use it and then go exactly back to the place that they were. I could be wrong. There could be some one and doneers. But if you're a one and doneer, it means you've changed your habits. And if you've changed your habits, why do you need it? And I think it's because you relate to the man who looks awful, silhouetted in the bad lighting with a hairy body. Um, I guess I went way off on the tangent on that, but it kind of relates to Thanksgiving, I guess. Sort of. Anyway, I've pulled into my driveway now. And so this segment of Sam Driving in the World is over. I will be back after these messages.